Hey, welcome to Being Creative. The This is the journey of discovering the value of our creative capital as we face the challenges in life through the stories of success and failures of individuals like us or not like us at all. Welcome to this week's episode. Let's go. Well, today I am uh, happy to have Hunter McKay on the show. Um, met him many years ago as a teacher in a school I happened to run into, and in that's uh, probably five, six years ago or something. And now he's moved on to a VP of a school that I can't go to. <laughs> 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 Anyways, Hunter, thanks for coming on the show. You betcha. Thanks for uh, thanks for having me. Now, uh, I love just jumping kind of straight into our conversations. When it comes to um, your kind of journey as a, from a, a teacher to a, an administrator, like, I'm sure it's a com- very completely different deal, is it? <laughs> it's, 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 it sheds a, a new light on what education is all about. As a classroom teacher, you're very not narrowly focused, but you're focused on your class and your kids of 30 or 24, depending on what you teach. And you get deep into what these kids are all about and what their families are all about. And if you're lucky enough to teach siblings after that, you really get to know some people, but you're generally very focused on what you need to do to have these kids learn and and move on to the next grade. Moving it into administration is... Now you have a school of 300 plus or whatever number you might have. And the goal is to get to know all your families and the ins and outs, plus the teachers, plus the kids. How many students are in your school right now? We got 340 this year. We've had, we've had up to 360. Um, This is K to grade six, right? K to six. Yeah. So we have had up to 360 here down to 340, but lots of transient, like we're about 20% transients in and out at this school. Okay. Um, huge English language learner population, uh, uh, north of 90 students. So wow. it's about a third, a little less than a third of the school is English language learners in some way. Right. Some with no language at all in English. So they come to us from wherever and they speak maybe high in their name and that's it. Right. Um, some on the ELLS would be more you could just have a regular conversation with them and they just need support kind of thing. Okay. Um, so those, and I found those types of challenges are as an administrator, that kind of is the fun part of this job is getting to know those types of crews and problem solving and being creative with meeting the needs of people that don't even speak the language that we speak commonly here. So, right. Um, those types of things are, whereas in your class, you might have one or two, you make adaptations, um, but as a whole school, they have actually English language learner teachers who create whole programs and work with vocabulary. And so it's just way more intricate in the admin role than the teacher role to to kind of summarize quickly. Yeah, yeah. So I'm I'm kind of curious, like, you know, I'm exploring right now the the way, you know, creativity. I think back in the day, I maybe would have thought that that meant being like artistic or painting or being musical. And and now I feel like creativity, it's all about problem solving and team building and and using your kind of creative talents and gifts and abilities and experience and education, whatever, to solve the problems 
that are coming up uh, both personally and professionally. I guess I'm wondering, like, does anything come to mind in terms of the challenges? Could be COVID related and, and everything that this, that's affecting schools that way or um, just any kind of thing that's kind of been more recent for you or, or your school there where you guys have had to kind of like, you know, find that creative solution to a problem maybe you've never faced before or something that you've, you know, it's been around all the time, but, you know, you're just still trying to come up with a solution. Does anything come to mind like that? So many things. Um, it's creativity. I think you're so right. I think I can remember going to school and I would, call myself not creative or uncreative because I played sports and um, I didn't draw or write or particularly like reading or doing math. And so I wasn't creative. I did sports and that was it. Right. But uh, now my viewpoint has changed a lot on creativity. Um, lately, tons of challenges um, in our schools, obviously with the whole COVID situation and, and managing all the moving parts with that. Um, I'll take, I'll go back a little bit to give some context. Like when I started teaching at distance ed, um, and how many years ago was that? So this is about 13 years ago. Okay. So I started my career then in 2008, uh, working with homeschool students. And traditionally that program was paper-based program where, um, you, pe people would get stuff mailed to them and they would mail it to you and you would mark it and then you would send it back to them. And that's quite the turnaround using the mail system. And <laughs> by the time I got to the school, that was already fading away. And there was a lot more online teaching online, distributing content um, through email or this program called Moodle where it's a place where you could build courses and whatnot. Okay. And so it was already going away from that. Um, and it was always interesting chatting with people about that environment and there it's it was so polarizing because some people really love the paper and they want just give me the paper i'll take it mm. i'll do it i'll see it in a month and there are some that's like i want instant i want it right now right and so i was always like okay how can i combine these things to make this sort of a best fit for myself and my work-life balance as well as the families that i'm working with so i was like you know what i'm just going to build my own courses mm. that can be pulled off the internet asynchronously whenever they have time to grab it and do it. And at that point they can take it and print it off and do it and send it, or they can do it on the computer and send it. It's taking out that me mailing it to them initially anyway. So I was delivering content. I built courses, sent it to them. I tried to be creative in that process and flexible. I think creativity and flexibility go hand in hand. Nice. Um, lots of open-ended sort of, hey, here's a project, but if you wanted to do this instead or this instead, or you want to meet the learning outcomes in your own way, right? please feel free to, to use that open-ended and be creative. And lots of kids would be like, well, what does being creative mean? It's like, well, literally, it's what do you think it means? Do you want to draw a picture? Okay, maybe. Do you want to just type it out? Okay, maybe. Right. Those things can be as creative or non-creative as you want them to be. I always told the kids, the medium doesn't matter. If you're using powerful language, you're thinking outside the box. And we would, of course, brainstorm all that stuff. Um, but that's how I kind of got my start with, with teaching and then going to Allen Holland Elementary, where I went to elementary school, and I wanted to have an impact there. 
which was kind of cool. Yeah. Um, when I first went there, it was my first like in front of kids teaching job. So I think that first year I stuck to sort of here, this is the curriculum. We're going to do it. Right. Um, and then got better as I went in terms of, I didn't, I want, I don't want to ever say, especially because it's on a podcast that I ignored the curriculum, <laughs> but I never, I never let the <laughs> curriculum. <laughs> I don't know how far and wide this will be heard, but, right. um, I never let the curriculum get in the way of what I want to accomplish with the students. Right. Cool. And so if you have to cover, you know, X, Y, and Z in social studies, language, arts, math, whatever, um, that was never my starting point. Right. I never looked at the learning outcomes and said, Oh, you know, I really got to make sure they know their similes and metaphors. Right. That was never something that I ever said or thought it was, Hey, we're going to do this awesome project you know, what involved with this project can I tick off on these learning outcomes mm. without the kids even knowing or caring about them? Because the kids don't care about learning outcomes. Right. Um, that's, a, that's a teacher thing. That's a ministry thing. And so the one project I did that I'm most proud of is I just created a country project. And so the kids created their own countries right from scratch. Okay. And they would have to right away come up with a, a name which they could change any time depending on how the project went um a flag and a coat of arms and so what's what's the backstory of your of your country nice what's it all about let's tell some stories like storytelling yes. you ask a kid tell me tell me a story about your country that you created well you need to block off two hours because they have a ton to say right and in that two hours of a kid talking about his project that he created you've done every learning outcome there ever was right? because they're so passionate about it. And so I did that project and we would cover off, you know, the government piece, um, science pieces involved in there, like weather, um, like what country do you want to be? Um, global citizenship, like how do people act in your country? Is there religion? Is there not religion? Right. And so they had to sort of think of that global picture of what they really wanted their country to be about. And they'd ask like, well, can I do this? I'm like, if you want to do that, it's yours. Mm. You can do it. Um, and inside that big country project, there'd be writing projects. Like they had to do, um, like for education, they had to write out like an educational decree, like who has okay. rights to education. Right. And then we would compare that to what Canada does and what maybe India does or Russia does or okay. countries that are in our world. Right. And so they could take all those pieces they've learned and then develop their own thing. And then in that writing piece where they wrote that up, that's when I can look at, hey, can we spell? Can we use commas? Can we use that? Yep. And without teaching it so directly, hey, okay, sit down, guys. We're all going to learn about our commas and periods now. Whereas by mm -hmm. the time teaching up upper intermediate, you know, they've had that bare, they've had that those uh, foundational pieces. Right. So I could take it to that next level and. To me, that would take up almost an entire school year, and it was so much fun for them because it was their project. Yeah, and it was fun for me to see what these kids have created. And I still have some of them would give me their flags at the end of the year or their coat of oh. arms that they liked. Yeah, and I still have those. And I, I even did my own too. I did the project with them, and I they would make fun of my artistry <laughs> and all that stuff, which <laughs> I was totally great with because that puts me out there right so um I, I, that, 
Go ahead. No, I love this because I was just thinking about um, when you're talking about this and the fact that you are a sports guy. And uh, it reminds me of uh, one of the Pro D sessions I did many years ago. And I was telling the group of teachers in my session how when I'm teaching slam poetry, I, it's a very similar approach to you. I, I don't worry about grammar and spelling and punctuation. It's like, can you tell your story? And mm -hmm. how can you tell your story? And there was this one teacher, he really reacted. Like he hated it. He hated that <laughs> idea because he's like, spelling's important. The rules of writing are important. I'm like, dude, of course they are. But yeah. I was like, uh, and I was able to make this uh, comparison to sports. I'm like, I don't think there's a single Canadian kid out there who ever played hockey because they wanted to do dry land training or power skating skills. Yeah, like we, we got into playing hockey because somebody gave us a stick. We got to race around on a sheet of ice, chasing a puck and bashing into our friends. And we had fun. That's right. And when you had fun, then you wanted to, yeah, become a better skater or stick handler, whatever. And you were willing to put that work in. And so I feel like you just described the same thing with this project. Very, I totally. love that. Yeah. And I mean, I like what you said there. It's, it's, it's not what's right or wrong in any given context. Because you can say, oh, this is the right way to do thing or this is the wrong way to do something. Right. When in the end, none of that even matters if you end up getting to where you need to go. Now, do you think... Like, hey, keep going. Go ahead. Go I, ahead. No. I was just wondering, like, do you think teachers right now in like your school or just teachers that you know, um, is there that... Are, are, do you think most teachers feel that freedom to find their own path in that way that you just described? Or is there a, a fear of stepping out and, and creatively kind of tackling the curriculum so that it's a meaningful thing for the students? That's a great question. I think it's been debated lots too. Mm. And I, I, would, I would guess... Like in my school in particular, I see so much stuff going on that's so impressive um, from a creative standpoint. Okay. Um, lots of teachers thinking outside the box. Um, but it's not commonplace and it's not with every subject either. Some teachers right. might be really comfortable with getting creative during their math lessons, whereas another teacher might be really comfortable with their language arts lessons. Um, and like I said, there's no right or wrong there. Right. Um, and I think it's a real mixed bag because it's sometimes, like I said earlier, I never ignored the learning outcomes, um, but I didn't ever let that be a starting point where new teachers, I think, especially can get concerned with learning outcomes and meeting those learning outcomes, which is totally fine. Right. Um, and it can take time. Like we, there's some really, really veteran teachers um, in the district who are super, super creative and do all kinds of stuff out the, outside the box. And you'll never hear them talking about learning outcomes. <laughs> and there, and there's some that are very much traditional by the book and it's, we need to learn this. This is how we're going to do it. And this is how I've always done it. Right. Which, okay. You know what? That is what it is. Um, so I think with young teachers coming into my building, when I chat with them or, you know, I try and give them that flexibility and, um, that encouragement to think outside the box and, you know, share my story about stuff I've done in my teaching career that has worked and has been successful. And it's funny, the one teacher I worked with at Allen Hall and we were both grade six teachers there and he had 
I was actually his student teacher at one point. Hmm. So he's got 20 years on me kind of thing. Yeah. And him and I always got along. Like, he helped me a lot when I was learning and we got along really good. We both coached. Um, and the year I left Allen Hall, we were actually going to do this country project together. Okay. So he was a teacher 20 years my senior, still willing to learn and do nice. different things. And we were going to do this project together. And now he's one of the teachers at my school. So he's, we're working together again and cool. he's, he builds stuff with the kids with tools and like just, so there's no, age is not a ter- determining right. factor. Experience is not a determining factor on what you can do. Um, but it is definitely a mixed bag and not everyone's as comfortable with everything. And I mean, PE is a good example for me. I could just coach basketball or volleyball or very traditionally, and this is how you do it and we mm. move on but I try and incorporate different stuff every year. And, you know, we're going to try it this way. And we're going to do a little mini. Right. And I just think about sports more than anything in teaching, but um, there is that willingness that the old way is not always the best way anymore. Well, we don't it, need five, yeah. we don't need five-year-olds playing on 200 foot long sheets of ice or <laughs> hockey anymore. We can cut this in half. Right. Or we can cut this into thirds, and right. it's still good. Um, and so there's things like that that I think are moving in the right direction. I still think there's a long way to go, and by the time we figure it out, it'll be something different, anyways. Well, and um, I think of so much of that it comes down to you know those. Um, what do we tell ourselves? You know, um, I think I picked it up from uh, what the heck was her name, Julia Cameron or something. She had a book called The Artist Way. I read like 20 years ago. And the only mm-hmm. thing I remember from that book is that she would talk about the sensors that we have in our head, the, the things, those voices that tell us why we can't do something. You know, I'm an old dog. I can't learn new tricks or, you know, I'm not young enough or smart enough or fast enough or whatever. And, yeah. it, you know, my progression as a, a creative person over the years, it's been like to become much more aware of and in tune to when those voices are going off in my head. I have to tell mm-hmm. you, a, a very recent, I was in a school a few weeks ago, and uh, two things were hilarious to me. Like, I've never been good at spelling. I've always had problems with, you know, grammar and punctuation, all that kind of stuff. And I love words. But uh, so for me, you know, one of the things, if I wanted to, when I wanted to write my book or if I wanted to be this writer, it's just like, how, Rick, how could you, the, the voice in my head would be like, how do you think you could do this? You know, you don't yeah. even know how to spell words. And so... <laughs> One of the last schools I was in, the the song, the lyric, I was going to write the lyrics out that, w- that were going to be part of the video. And I was just like, every day we're getting stronger. Every day we're this. We never... And so I was like, is it every day as one word or is it every <laughs> day? Two words. And I'm like, I actually don't know, but I'm in a school. So I go find a teacher and I'm like, hey, blah, blah, blah. What is it? Every day, one word or is it two words? And she looks at me and she's like, I don't know. She's like, <laughs> go ask that teacher down the hall. So I walked down to that teacher and I was like, hey, so is it one word or is it two words? And she's like, geez, I don't know. You should look up on YouTube that song every day and see how they spelled it. And I'm like, what song are you talking about? So I go into my little room and I Google in some Buddy Holly song. And uh, so I figured out how to spell it and whatever. But I thought, Rick, you're in a school or surrounded by teachers. And 
your question is not on the tip of everybody's tongue. Like, you know, everybody doesn't yeah. know what you don't know. Yeah. And it just made me realize again, all over again, how kind of uh, stupid it is to be shut down by these sensors when um, I've always, I've got to the point now where I look at my weaknesses as opportunities to work with people who are strong in that area. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I have no problem admitting, you know, that I don't know <laughs> what, <laughs> what way I should do that. Um, I want to circle back to something you were talking about. So, you know, you were, you were talking as a teacher in grade six in identifying, you know, the, the learning outcomes and the, the journey and the path for these 25 students. Is it kind of, are you in that situation now as an administrator with like 25, 30 teachers where you're like, you're trying to find, like, it sounds like it would be important in a school, if you're developing a creative culture in a school, for your teachers to know that they are free or have flexibility to find their way through those, you know, curriculum and, and learning objectives and outcomes. And if they try mm-hmm. something, like, are they going to be judged and called to the carpet or are they going to be supported and strengthened? Do you? Yeah, no, that's that's a good a good question. Um, I always thought, and before I took VP jobs or the VP job, I talked to one of my old VPs and I said, Hey, what's that job of a VP? Like, like what's, what are the ins and outs? Do you have tips for me essentially? And they said, you know, as a classroom teacher, you're supporting those 30 students, their families, and you're working, you're working hard each day to do that. Now as a vice principal, you're supporting your, however many teachers you have in your building um, plus your principal and the rest of the staff. So they can then support the students. Um, and I'm like, I got, I was just thinking about that. It's like, okay, there's the connection, you know, you ponder all these things in your head and what that could look like. Um, and I've had great administrators in my past teaching career that, that I can think back, Oh, what did they do that situation? Or what did they do in that situation? Um, one in particular was always like, is that best for kids? If, it, if you get asked a question and you just put in your head, is that what's best for kids? And the answer is yes. Then the answer, you know, is probably going to be, let's, let's, let's do it. Let's try it. Cool. Um, cause if I, he always said like, if you're doing what's best for kids and we got to, you know, chat with you about something, but you know, you had good intentions, we can just work with that. Um, and so I kind of took that to heart and have used that language, um, pretty consistently. Um, our school, like we always have September planning days. And so mid September, there's a day off on a Friday or a Monday where, um, we all get together and have a, basically a day long staff meeting where we look at how our school has done in past years and what we're going to do moving forward. Um, our school in particular last two years have, have, has done Shelly Moore stuff. Uh, I'm sure you've heard of, of her. Um, I have, but anybody who hasn't, what, what's the crib notes? Yes. So like last year she had this great analogy about the baked potato and the baked potato analogy is just. For all these kids and, you know, she prepared them. She took the time and she got all the stuff and then the kids came down and you, I can't even remember exactly what it is, but half of them didn't like them. Some of them didn't like the chives or the sour cream or something, something, something. Right. Right. And, and so teachers oftentimes can plan, 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 but it doesn't sort of fit every kid. 
Right. And so we told our teachers, here's your plain baked potato. What are the things that you need to make that baked potato something these kids will love and enjoy? And is every baked potato going to be the same? And that answer is no. Right. Right. So it's a great analogy. And we used it throughout the year and, and revisited it. So, for example, a teacher's like, well, you know, a piece that goes on this big, big potato for these three students might be extra reading time. Right. Uh, for these students, it's pull out um, English language learner vocabulary time. And so we ha- we started to look at all those pieces that just one baked potato needs to be successful, so to speak. Um, and so an interesting analogy, and that's creativity. Like, hey, we got to right. make this potato the greatest potato ever. Yep. And how are we going to do that? And it's not check the learning outcomes right. first thing. Right. It's what are we going to do to meet the needs? And the needs go beyond academics too. It's those social emotional needs. It's yep. um, the hierarchy of needs. These kids got to eat and be fed and um, have clean clothes and um, feel safe. Right. So all those pieces are are involved. And when you take an analogy like that, it allows you to look at that sort of whole piece and not just strands. Yeah. No. I really... So that was one. That was one thing that we did last year, and and Kathy was really good, my principal at. Um, sort of leading that discussion and me supporting and loving every minute and the teachers buy in when you have something like that, that they can, Oh yes, you know, that, that really works. That allows us to be creative. Right. Um, And so it's powerful stuff. And then this past year, one of the things that stuck out, stuck out, we had quite a bit of fun at our um, planning day. We had the teachers make up words or phrases um, that describe something that can happen in school Um, I'll give you an example here. I got it here somewhere. It's just hilarious stuff, but it's basically like stuff that happens in a school. So there's a tie knotter. And so it's a kid that can't ties it, can't tie his shoes, but everyone thinks that they can, including their parents. So there's no support in the kid's shoes are always untied. And then there's the sympathy bladder kids where if one kid has to go to the bathroom, they all have to go to the bathroom. It's really hard to run a gym class when they all show up and one person has to pee and next thing you know, there's nobody standing in front of you. <laughs> so the teachers all came up with these creative phrases or words of stuff we would deal with at the school level and then creative ways to overcome those little yep. things that we do on a daily basis that maybe the general public has no idea. Yep. Right. So, and that's, that's a thing that when I talk to my friends about teaching and working in schools, people that have maybe no kids in school or don't have any idea other than their experience from school, you know, this is the behind the scenes stuff that we do. Right. You know, kid shows up, we got to tie their shoes, make sure they're fed. We have to, you know, sometimes it's that shirt is dirty. We're giving them a new shirt. It's taking care of them behind the scenes so they can learn and be successful at school. And so long story short, Kathy and I feel we give our teachers a lot of flexibility to be as creative as they need to be. And we see it every day um, with our staff and, and the stuff that goes on. We're both very active in the school and we get around to all the classrooms lots and even participate. Like I'm always, one teacher always gets me when they do each year, they do a measurement unit. So okay. they measure how far they can jump. Okay. So I always do the, I always do the first <laughs> jump, they measure it and then they all try and beat me. <laughs> 
but if you think about a math lesson for those kids, me coming in there doing that and then them trying to beat me, they're going to remember that as opposed to just a piece of paper that they had to write numbers on. Oh yeah, 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 totally. So stuff like that, when I see my teachers doing that, I'm just like, this is awesome. You know, you're doing a great job with this, you know, keep this up. This is awesome. I'll come help out whenever you want with stuff like this. Cause I think it's so important to do those things that kids will remember. So as an administrator, then do you have anything that is sort of a, I think about it like a red flag where you're like, this is going to kill creativity or relationship at a staff level. And like what, what would prevent that kind of creative culture in your school from, from happening? Is there something that you come up against kind of year after year or that surprises you at all? You know, like that kind of, whoa, we've never been here before or somebody's totally shut down in in this way. And, and yeah, do you know what I'm trying to ask? For sure. I know exactly what you're trying to ask. Because I think, and I correct me if I'm wrong, but I've talked a lot about teacher to student, myself to student relationships, yeah, sort of so far, right, and the positive impacts of that. Staff to staff is one million, t- and it's more complicated because everyone has their own set of experience and their own sort of strategies on how to be a successful teacher and stuff they've done in the past and stuff they want to do in the future. Right. And so, and as teachers, they have teacher autonomy. So they're allowed to, as long as they're meeting the learning outcomes, you know, do whatever they need to do in the class, you know, within reason, of course, they're not allowed to, you know, nor corporal punishment or anything like that. Right. Um, And so you can run into, um, how can I word this best without, say anything too much but i still remember strike years where um Mm. people were okay we're not going to um coach or we're not going to do extracurriculars anymore while we're doing this strike action piece right and i just said well i am going to still do those things because the kids need it right so to speak right so i was willing to you know I'm sure people were pissed at me. No one, one, one teacher I remember was, I was really happy that she said it. She said, it's okay. We can still be friends and colleagues and we can disagree on this. And I thought that was very powerful. Yeah. And I always remember her saying that and her and I are still friends today. Cool. Um, because I think there can be, unless those small conversations happen right. in those kinds of situations, you can lead to some angst. Yeah. Um, either with colleagues or with administrators or between teachers and EAs or parents even. Um, So I think when you get, especially newer teachers, um, they want to, they need guidance. They need, they look to whoever's going to help them in any kind of situation. And so if they're getting guidance to not, you know, to teach it this old certain way, then maybe that's what they follow. Because, you know, in that situation, you're new, you're learning, you're ready to soak up anything. Right. And not everyone is in that moment ready to sort of just jump in and do stuff. Yeah. Like Miss Frizzle, Frizzle style. Right, right. Um, 
And for those listeners that don't know Miss Frizzle, <laughs> you should look it up. You should look Amazing it up. Amazing stuff. Yeah. If you think about Miss Frizzle, and I'm sure you've watched the Magic School Bus, right? Yep. Like, that show is obviously bizarre. <laughs> but all those kids love that teacher. And she did some wild and wacky stuff, but absolutely memorable. Yes, it's a cartoon and not realistic, right. but the concept remains the same. She did stuff that those kids will never forget. Yep. And that's what I encourage teachers to do here. It's like, hey, what are the kids actually going to remember? And so it's important to, it can't always be one voice. Right. But I think after a time, and we're in our fourth year of our school here now, it's really evident that people are taking that sort of mindset on. And it's not with everything, like I said before, um, but it is important that it's not just administrator to teacher, Yeah, that it's teacher to teacher too, and yeah. they're collaborating. One challenge with our building in particular, um, so almost a new school and, you know, the new way, there's no staff room. Wow. So you don't get a staff room, but all these little areas get their own mini staff rooms, which to me, when I heard that was, oh, it's perfect. Everyone's just going to segregate themselves yeah. and no one's going to talk. Yeah. And so we tried to be intentional here with challenges to all come meet in a certain area and eat. Um, we put stickers underneath the tables for a prize or, you mm. know, if we get 20 people down here to eat, we'll do, you know, bring treats or something. Yeah. We tried to get people together, but it didn't feel organic. Like right. we wanted people to want to do that. Yep. And because then, you know, we we're just getting to that and quite a few staff go to the year-end parties or Christmas parties and then COVID comes. And then it's like, now we can't get together right. and we have to, you know, and then it's harder to get to know people because you can develop good relationships among staff um, just on breaks or seeing them at school. Right. But you really get to know them or what they're all about when you go hang out after school or yeah. go, you know go for a drink after or go for some appetizers or whatever. That's when you really get to know your staff and build those relationships. So that piece is what I'm sad about. Right. We don't have the main staff room to sort of, you know, bring us together naturally. Yep. And so it has to be intentional and some teachers do it. Some teachers do it. They do get together with, with other groups, but it's not as a whole, like, the uh, grade six teachers no, don't necessarily interact with the kindergarten teachers or the grade one teachers right? as often as I would hope. Um, but again, it's part of it's COVID part of it's the design of our building. Um, part of it is just who the staff are as people. We have a few introverts on the staff and they prefer for a small group, which is totally fine too. Um, so I, I can't even remember what your question was now, no, to be I, honest, but... Well, no, um, you know what? I find it really interesting. You know, I, my experience is so different. I come into a school for a week. And so yeah. it's this high energy. It's up for everybody. It should be fun for the teachers. I've learned how to focus on making it a great week for the teachers. It, it's easy for me to focus on the students and having them having a great time. But over the years, you know, like... God, I've lost track of how many schools across the country I've been into and go into every year. And it, it'll be, it was a, last year I was in this school and I would, uh, no, it has to be before COVID because I just now go sit in my vehicle <laughs> trying <laughs> to avoid whatever exposure I can. So it was before COVID and I was in this one school and I realized maybe by day two, that 
I hated going to the staff room. And yeah. I and I as I looked around, I realized every teacher I was connecting with was not here. So if I was in their class and they were dynamic teachers or they were really engaging or exciting, I never saw them in the staff room ever. The yeah. only people who were in the staff room were just bitching and <laughs> angry and complaining and everything. It could be about the weather. It could be about the school or the kids or just, and I was like, whoa, no wonder. Mm-hmm. Like the teachers I'm connecting with that are wanting and, you know, it takes energy to be creative. It oh, takes yeah. energy to be positive and hopeful and optimistic. And I'm like, no doubt. And I remember uh, I, there's only been one administrator I've known well enough, had a relationship sort of deep enough to be able to go to privately and say, hey, I know you're not asking me for this. But as an event coordinator and as a person who spends all this time in schools, can I just tell you my take on your staff room and what I think would help. And, and so when, when you describe being in a school without that central point of contact, mm-hmm. I, I can't imagine how, I, I mean, in the last, this last year I've been really, really busy and it's because that year before everybody canceled all of their yeah. team building school spirit building things because of COVID. And so this last year I've been super busy and everybody's been desperate to get back and connected. So I'm like, if you guys don't even have that staff room, I would think that'd be a real challenge. It, it, it's a big challenge. And we've said it from the start that we don't have that one place where, you know, at the very least, people are putting their lunch in there in the fridge. Right. And at lunch, they have to come get it. And they'll have interactions right. accidentally Yep. because they just ran into the person. Yep. And the first couple of years when even the staff, like when we came to this school, Kathy and I came from Robert Ogilvy and then we had, and then we had like kind of pods of teachers, like few came from central. Right. Um, one came from Finch. I'm just trying to think one came from out of town, but anyway, it kind of automatically people were comfortable with certain individuals already. Yeah. And then I only knew my partner, like my principal, yeah. And then a couple other people and then just maybe from around sports and stuff. But it was very easy to just eat lunch down here by myself in the office and just be like, huh, this is kind of boring. This is not very much fun right now. I'm going to go for a walk. Right. And, you know, I would go sit in the other mini, mini staff rooms and eat lunch with a variety of people and get to know them. And that was easier for me to do, I think, than right. if, you know, I'm already in that space. My lunch is already here. I only get 30 minutes to eat. You know, I've just had to zip up 17 coats and now I only have 20 minutes. Right. Well, it's not, I'm not going to go then go down to this other room with my lunch and eat there. And then in 10 minutes I have to go back. So, um, it was really hard that first year and we felt very isolated down by the office and part of it's, yeah, we're busy too. And we got the behaviors we're managing during breaks and stuff and not always easy to go to those other areas. So, I mean, I, I still remember at Allen Holland, we started, I never went in the staff room a ton when I first went there. Um, and of course you start getting along. You don't ever get along with everybody, but I started getting along with certain pockets of people. But then we started like a Wednesday potluck where you'd sign up. Mm. So for three months, everyone, we had every Wednesday. And so if you signed up, you got to go eat on Wednesday. Okay. And so, when it was my turn, of course, I'd always forget. And then Wednesday, I'd, 
Wednesday at 8.30 when school is starting in 20 minutes, I'm running to Safeway to grab a box of donuts and whatever. Um, oh, you're that order guy. A pe- order a pizza. Yeah, I was that guy. And uh, But you know what was funny? I Then after, I didn't want to sign up. So I'm like, I'm just going to forget or I'm not going to, you know, I don't, it's not going to work out. People are like, no, sign up. If you forget, we'll figure something out. Right. And so that was like a very simple way to bring that stuff sort of together. And that was, I still have good memories of chatting with people in that um, staff room. Your, um, your old protege there from Allen Holland, um, Liv. Oh yeah. Her, her mom, her mom always worked there, right? Still does. Okay. And she'd always have like her tablet out and she'd always be reading like those gossip magazines and stuff so i would always razz her about that and um oh what's on the docket today what do you learn about britney spears or what's george Clooney tom, up tom to cruise now? yeah yeah so that was those are always good chats and um i always had my famous uh melted cheese lunches where i would just take like a brick of cheese bring it into the staff room and just put it in the microwave and just melt it and then just eat it and so the conversations around that and my old pickup I had were just extraordinary stuff. So, wow. But great memories. Yeah. yeah. Really great memories. And those are not necessarily happening in as much here um, just because of the design of the building. So right. it's still, it's still a, one of our goals is to get people together more, but right. the further down the road you get, you know, mm-hmm. four years in, people are very comfortable with sort of their space and what, mm-hmm. what they do during breaks and stuff. So, well, it's, yeah, so it's, it's, it is a challenge, not something that can't be overcome, but just it, for whatever reason, it's not on the front burner, even though staff sort of social emotional, uh, well-being is a district goal. Yeah. Um, we can always start like that, but it always seems to come back to the students, right? And right. what what can we do for them? And so, still a challenge in the workplace, no doubt. Well, it's good. I was that was going to be my last question. You kind of already answered it. It was just like you know, in, when it's not just automatically happening, and I don't think you know, the creative culture of a classroom or the creative culture of a school, I don't think it just happens. I think it's those intentional little deals um, that, yeah, it could be proximity. It could be that, that, like you said, the fridge in the staff room that you got to just go to get your lunch. and, And it's that little initial point of contact, you know, one of the funniest staff rooms I've been in, in your city is the one at Burt Bowes. It's a really narrow kind of room, just physically. And with the amount of furniture they've got in there kind of shoved in, it's like these two rows of couches and chairs that you barely have enough leg room between the little coffee table in between these two things that are facing each other. And it's like, uh, it's always been the loudest staff room that I've probably ever been in. And I mean that in a good way. Yeah. They're bantering, they're joking. You can't you can't help it. You sit down, you want to grab a seat, you're literally five feet away, directly across from somebody, and you're gonna you're gonna have some kind of interaction. And I, I've always thought, you know, it if we don't have those points of connection, yeah. we're just not gonna there's no, no there's no way around it. So hundred percent. And it's I think that's everything within a school stuff will happen organically depending on the 
people in your building. Right. Um, you might have a very outgoing staff, so there's lots of parties or get-togethers. That won't suit everybody's needs, but it can happen. Yeah. Um, a vibrant staff room can tell you a lot about a school, actually, yeah. in terms of are these people even getting along? Or right. do they like each other? Or do they have things in common? Like a vibrant staff room says that these people have built a relationship in right. some way. Right. And all that's intentional. Yeah. Same as when you you set out your behavior guidelines for your students or your, like our school started our three half years ago with entitlement. And what does that mean? And, you know, we have this nice new school and, mm. you know, you know, we're entitled to an education, but we need to treat it properly. And all, and then the creativity piece that layers in everything that we do, it's all got to be intentional. Yeah. Intentional acts. And this year we're doing intentional acts of kindness, quiet acts of kindness. All those pieces that we do at our little assemblies, it's all on Zoom. So it's challenges here, but right. um, all those things and being intentional with it is is so important. I mean, I know we're wrapping up here, but I appreciate you taking me on. And I think when I just finished my master's a couple of years ago, I like I told you at the start of this, I was never a creative person or I never thought of myself as a creative person. Yeah. And me and my buddy and my master's program, both huge sports guys, you know, we chat about it all the time. We both come to do our final project and it's an art project. <laughs> like, it's just like, are, are you kidding me right now? Like, how did this happen? <laughs> and even when I was doing the project, I'm just like, what am I doing? This is, is this me now? Am I, mm. you know, can I be this person? Like, I mean, I still love my sports and I still, I do all that, but you know, I see the value in, in other aspects a lot more now. And creativity is a word that can get thrown around, but I do feel that I've haven't always been super intentional with my creativity, but thinking back of all the things that I've done, I am what I feel is a fairly creative person and how I tackle my work life and my home life and, um, everything. Right. So it's, it's how you, you can't define creativity. It's so contextual and individual and Mm -hmm. unique to every, to every situation. So, um, I would never have, if I got hired to go into a school and say, this school needs to be more creative. Well, Mm. I would have, I wouldn't have a document for them to just all follow. No. Right? It would have to be it would have to be something that would be assess what's going on in school or in the situation and look at ways collaboratively how to how to function. Yeah. Um and bring some creative aspects into it. So it's it's a powerful word and I feel I could talk for another three, four hours and (laughs) I'm sure we will again. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely will. Well, man, I, I I hope you guys have. I, I feel I've already I've always felt empathy and and you know for for teachers and for educators. Uh, one of the very first times I started feeling um, a sense of connection um, was when I realized you know as as an independent musician and touring artist and you just like there's all these things you just have to figure out and do for yourself whether you have a degree to do that or whether you even feel like it falls within your skill set you have to do it and uh, I would come into schools and then I would meet these teachers that were just like yeah they weren't 
they were just I, somebody needs to figure this out and I'm the only one here so I'm gonna figure it out and I was like boy I, we are the same completely yeah. different but we're like the same trying to do this and that was kind of where this whole um, kind of obsession with creativity and how it kind of helps us and those who are around us and so I, I hope you guys have uh, oh, oh sorry I was starting all of that because you know I always thought it was a hard profession but being in schools during COVID far out man I don't know how you guys I, I was in one <laughs> school in September end of September beginning of October and the t- somebody in the hallway one teacher to another the bell had rung and they were obviously talking about how many kids were gone and how many teachers were out that day and and somebody said just hang in there until June <laughs> and I thought oh my god it's only September yeah hang in there for nine and a half more months <laughs> <laughs> so I hope it's not like that for you for the rest of this year. No, right? I'm having, it's, it's, it's still a great profession. And I have my days where, and I think everybody does where they're not feeling like going to work or being productive at work or even enjoying their work. But when you look at the broader picture and the impacts you're having and, and the joy that can come from this profession, it, it outweighs the negative. Right. For sure. Cool. Well, thank you, Hunter. Yeah, yeah, we will talk again very soon. Appreciate that. Hope you guys uh, have a great year. All right, man. You as well. Take care. All right.